0: Hello all, and welcome to this podcast, which is the third in a series discussing issues around health inequalities. My name is Oluwashion Anyam, Sean for short, and I'm one of the regional representatives of the Royal College of Physicians Trainees Committee. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the topic of smoking and the health inequalities associated with it. I'm delighted to be joined by Sanjay Agrawal, who is a professor of respiratory medicine consultant in both respiratory and critical care medicine, and is a chair of the RCP Tobacco Advisory Group. Hi, Sanjay. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, hi, Sean. Good good to speak with you. Great, thanks.
0: Always have huge respect for dual medicine and critical care specialists. I have a good friend who is doing dual training at the moment, and I just don't know how you guys do it. So, but anyway. um, Well, thank you. (laughs) That's all right. Now, I've actually really been looking forward to exploring this issue with you. Um, So I'd just like to get straight into it, if that's okay. Um, So, Sanjay, in my early years of medical school, uh, which scarily was over 15 years ago now, but uh, enough said about that. (laughs) Um, But in my early years, I remember learning about smoking in my lectures and seminars. And at that time, I remember being taught that smoking rates had significantly declined over the previous decades. Um, And that was mainly thanks to one of the most large scale and successful public health campaigns of those times. Um, And we seem to hear much less about smoking now in the media compared to other health issues such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, obviously things that I'm interested in, but also cancer, mental health, etc. So I kind of got the impression that smoking had been dealt with. Um, So I guess my question is, is smoking still a significant problem in today's
1: society? Smoking is still a massive problem in today's society. And, you know, the reasons uh, that it's not highlighted in medical training is uh, an enigma to me because (laughs) it causes um, it's the biggest single cause of preventable death and disability in our society. Still, um, not only only that, but it costs society billions and billions of pounds every year. It's It's a recurrent cost. And it's crazy, 7 million people in the UK smoke. And mm. we know that one in two of them will die from using the product as intended. Um, and that people who die from smoking are replaced by replacement smokers who are usually mm. children. So it's it remains a massive problem. Um, it's not gone away. And I, and I think that whilst a lot of progress has been made, we shouldn't, Mix that up with thinking that there's not still a problem.
0: Mm. Gosh, I mean, smoking is still the biggest single cause of death and disability. Um, and one in two people who smoke will, will die from use from smoking. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm staggered by that statistic.
1: Yeah, I think we live in a society, especially with Covid, let's say more recently, where perhaps the public become desensitized by Mm -hmm. big numbers Um, but yeah it's still a a massive massive problem and you know if we nailed um, tobacco addiction and and treated it and made smoking obsolete our society would be healthier there'd be much less in the way of health inequality Mm. and um, we would do a great service remember there is no safe level of smoking unlike let's say um, obesity and eating or, or alcohol and drinking where you could argue you know, we all need to eat and there are safe levels of alcohol there is no safe level of smoking
0: yeah I mean it's really interesting you say that and, and you mentioned that I think you said seven million people smoke in current society because I've, I've been thinking about this a lot actually um, in the time we even got to making this uh, this podcast and I realised when, when I'm seeing patients in the admissions unit, um, and you know how we ask that question: uh, "Do you smoke?" A lot of those patients do actually still say yes, um, and I've never really reflected upon that until now. Um, and it's particularly noticeable amongst among young people, interestingly. Um, and you've obviously you've mentioned about already mentioned about the link between smoking and some health inequalities. Are there any health inequality statistics that are hidden within these more general statistics?
1: Yes. Yeah, so so actually, that's a great question. Um, so, again, we might be reassured by thinking, well, smoking prevalence is reducing in the general population. It's, you know, on average, one in six of the adult population. However, if you look at uh, if you look a little bit more deeply, smoking rates are twice as high in routine and manual professions as opposed to, uh, for instance, doctors. So, you know, the rate in routine and manual is 25 percent of the population instead of 14 percent. The rate in uh, unemployed uh, people is nearer 30 percent. The rate in mental health populations is greater than 30 percent, especially those with serious mental health disorders like schizophrenia, where it might be 50, 60, 70 percent. People who are homeless, again, it's more than 50 percent. People in prisons, more than 50%. And and so it goes on, people in LGBT communities, it's usually about 50% higher uh, than the average. So there are multiple groups. And there's something called intersectionality, which you've probably heard of, whereby Mm. people can have different things. So, you know, you can be home. In fact, commonly, it might be that people are homeless and have a mental health disorder and are unemployed. And so these Uh, uh, health inequalities are amplified and tobacco addiction is common in many of these groups. And it's because many of of the people in these groups were born into smoking. So their parents smoked, their siblings smoked, their school friends smoked. So peers and family um, essentially hooked them into smoking in their teenage years. And they were addicted thereafter. Um, I, think, I think for me, Sean, what, what has happened is essentially, you know, 100, 100 200 years ago, smoking was a, uh, something that the affluent did to show mm. sign of their status. It then moved to people in, um, who were less affluent taking up smoking to try and gain that status. Mm. But of course, over the last 100 years, it's moved entirely. And now smoking is absolutely... An addiction of the disadvantaged
0: mm. i mean do you think there's any other factors that may be going on there that could be i mean you've mentioned the historical factors but something must be driving it now as well
1: um, so yeah uh, yeah there are there, there are many things so firstly uh, um, people are born into it so it's often the case that let's say uh, pregnancy, for instance. So mm. we know in the most deprived communities in, say, Blackpool, smoking rates are 26 percent in pregnancy, whereas wow. in the most affluent parts of, say, Chelsea and westminster they're, they're like two or three percent. And the kids who are born into families where there are smokers are much more likely to smoke themselves, to go to schools where there are friends who smoke, mm. to then take up occupations where they smoke. So the kind of cards are dealt to them right from the outset. Mm. In addition to that, you have um, social media um, and uh, broadcast uh, television and catch-up TV where smoking is depicted all the time, actually. Mm. Um, and so it becomes normalised um, for many people. And the tobacco industry who need replacement smokers <laughs> – yeah. Um, will encourage that by creating brands that are very cheap and and affordable uh, to those who are the least well off so it's this perfect storm where people are born into it Um, they uh, have tobacco that's affordable or use illicit tobacco uh, that is affordable Um, and they don't often have access to treatment So, you know, treatment of tobacco addiction, there's there's pretty poor provision. So Mm. historically at the moment, local government stop smoking services provide treatment, but um, it's patchy in its Mm. offer. And so many people don't have access to treatment um, easily. And so they remain addicted. And and the final thing to say is, remember, tobacco is a powerful addiction. It's not a lifestyle choice. Uh, people become addicted in their youth and they stay addicted and um, it's very hard to break it. And uh, many people who stop smoking have taken six or seven attempts to quit smoking and are very likely to relapse within um, a year. Um, mm. So it's just the relapse rates of tobacco are the same as the relapse rates of heroin.
0: Gosh, that's absolutely, that's that's blown my mind, that st- <laughs> statistic about heroin. You you know we, we kind of class heroin as the worst of the worst, if if you like, and yet smoking has exactly the or well, similar characteristics.
1: Um, yes, yes. So it has you know, the, the chemical effect on the brain and the conditional cues to smoke are, are everywhere, and they're reinforced by many things in society. Again, like seeing other people smoking mm. um, in town centres or on TV or in social media or music videos, these all reinforce, and people who have quit smoking, they're more likely to relapse when they see these things.
0: I just wanna take you back to um, that very concerning statistic, I find it concerning anyway, about um, the increased prevalence of smoking um, during pregnancy in less affluent groups. I mean, because there's been, there's been loads of campaigns about how smoking could harm the developing fetus increase the risk of miscarriages, et cetera, et cetera. And lots of information out there about this. Do you think this this information is just not getting through to these groups? Or what do you think could be going on there?
1: Um, so I think, you know, education has a role but you know, um, I, I would imagine lots of people listening to this podcast, God forbid, know that it's not safe to speed and mm. drive a car. But occasionally... They've been found to go over the speed limit Uh, Um, or, you know, people text when they're driving or do all sorts of things that they know um, could be harmful. And the definition of an addiction is doing something even though, you know, there are harmful consequences. That's that's one of the definitions of addiction. So, again, we can't get away from the fact that um, tobacco use is a powerful addiction. And people do it despite knowing the harms.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, there's there's echoes of similarity between this and the obesity um, issue as well, uh, which was discussed in the uh, last podcast. And similar kind of things where there's almost um, a lack of knowledge among healthcare professionals about the potential management uh, options or interventions available for people, um, and the up the the addictive side of things um, with both smoking and obesity is more defined in smoking, I guess, but it also exists within um, you know eating, uh, nutritional intake, etc. Um, and the role of the media um, and advertising and things like that. It's all it's all pretty oh, similar, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, smoking, obesity, alcohol. There, there are lots of similarities with respect to um, upstream issues of you know, corporations, profit, mm. media, business, lobbying, influencing government policy, and uh, making it cheap and affordable, um, and individual responsibility of the the, the the people who who you know let's say maybe have an unhealthy weight or unhealthy drinking mm. Uh, mm. or smoking. Mm. Um, and it's a balance of you know we need to get we need to help individuals for sure. But a lot of the big interventions in tobacco over the last few decades are at population level where mm. legislation has been introduced. And we need to do more of it. So, you know, as we said at the beginning, there's still a lot more to do. And you know, one of the first things we can do is uh, li- describe tobacco imagery as harmful mm. and, and limited in um, TVs and viewing by uh, children. Uh, in music videos, gaming, other mm. forums um, so that they don't think it's normal to smoke, which they do at the moment oftentimes. Mm. Mm. Uh, but this is true of this is true of you know fast food, this is true of uh, mm. um, and we've got it and taxation is the, the other big area where we can make a real difference with uh, both food, alcohol and tobacco. Um, and public health. But mm. you know, getting back to healthcare workers, as we, I would say, Sean, you mentioned at the beginning about your teaching around tobacco. Mm. Yes. Um, and, and I think that we are, as doctors, we're, we're taught about how to treat and diagnose, um, but we often think public health is somebody else's job. Yes. But actually, yeah. we are the public health workforce. You don't have mm. public health consultants working in our clinics. We are that public health consultant, um, so I think there's a there's a need and a responsibility for us to do that and and think about patients holistically.
0: Mm. Well, I guess you know you've, we've already touched upon the crux of the issue, which is what can we what can we do um, to to a reverse the, the negative trends, particularly in those groups you've mentioned um, earlier, and b ultimately stimulates further reduction in just general smoking rates in the population. Um, you've mentioned a couple of things, taxation um, and sort of uh, limiting the amount of advertising. Is there anything else that you think can be done? I'm sure there's loads of different things.
1: But- yeah, yeah, so so in general, there's, a, there's something I learned recently about an approach to health inequalities um, is access, experience and outcome. So firstly, we, okay. we need to make sure that people have um, access to treatment Now, the NHS is a unique organisation and much loved. And pretty much everybody will see a doctor at some point in a year or a nurse at some point in a year, whether it's at their general practice or in a hospital or somewhere. And every one of these um, interfaces with the NHS needs to involve questions about um, tobacco addiction um, and and then starting people on treatment. So... (laughs) You know if somebody came to a hospital and they had pneumonia or they had out of control diabetes you would just treat it you wouldn't yeah. ask you wouldn't ask permission you wouldn't refer them to anybody else you would just treat it and we know that tobacco addiction kills one in two people so when a person comes to a hospital or to uh, a gp it should just be treated yeah. uh, we have pharmacotherapy we have behavioral interventions and we should just get on and treat it. Whereas, unfortunately, what's happened really to date is that kind of people are well, that's somebody else's job. I'm not really sure who does that. I don't think it's me. So I'm just going to ignore it. And people take down smoking as a risk factor for diseases, but they don't actually treat it. So the first thing to do is make sure that um, people who smoke have um, the option uh, on an opt out basis to have their tobacco addiction treated. And finally, we need to measure outcomes because if we don't measure, uh, we don't know whether we're making improvements. So we need to measure outcomes in in, um, these uh, populations where there are health inequalities and make sure we're improving things. Um, So I think we can do all of this. Uh, We're sort of getting there. The NHS long term plan has um, promised to put into place in every hospital a stop smoking service to treat inpatients. But I think we need to go much further and include mm. primary care and other opportunities uh, where we can uh, get better access for patients who are addicted to tobacco.
0: Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, I, I actually really like um, that, uh, that um, approach that you suggested of how to tackle health inequalities. I think you said access... Experience and outcomes. It's it's not something I've um, actually come across before. So thanks very much for mentioning it. I'll um, I'll um, add it to my reading list. <laughs> um, the what I did want to
1: ask is: Do we know if these interventions actually work in practice? That's a great question. So they do. So um, firstly, um, treatment of tobacco addiction in general is effective. Um, okay. So if 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 somebody goes cold turkey they've got about a 1% chance of being smoke-free a year from now.
0: Wow, 1%? If, yeah. Gosh.
1: Yeah. Whereas if they get treatment, they've got about a 20% chance. Now you might think well, wow. oh, 20% isn't very much, but actually it's much better than 1%, mm. um, and especially for a lethal disease. So, uh, and, and, and you keep on trying until you know everybody uh, who wants to quit quits. Um, So we've got a really effective treatment, much more effective than many treatments for other conditions, in fact. Um, So uh, uh, and and then if you look at different populations, so people with, say, mental health disorder who are heavily addicted to tobacco, well, they quit just as easily as uh, people without mental health disorder. It might need to be tailored. So there might need to be um, uh, specific training relating to their mental health medications, for instance. Uh, But yeah, they quit just as easily. And the other thing is the desire to quit. So people in um, these groups um, want to quit. Most smokers want to quit. It's just that they don't know how they don't know where to get help. And we as healthcare workers usually fail them by not offering them any treatment because we don't know. We don't know about the treatment. So it's like a perfect storm and, and their addiction goes on. Uh, and then they get health and financial problems. I mean, one of the things that we haven't talked about, Sean, I just wanted to mention, is that um, tobacco addiction is responsible for about a million people in this country being in poverty. Oh, gosh. Uh, so they're so addicted to That's incredible. To tobacco, yeah. So they're so addicted to tobacco that they will spend their household budget, on average, about 23 quid a week, on tobacco. And it it pulls them into poverty. And there's about a quarter of a million kids who live in households below the breadline because of tobacco. And if we made smoking obsolete, most of that money, and we estimate over seven billion pounds, would be returned to those communities and those families and lift people out of poverty. So not only is there a tremendous health benefit, there's also a financial benefit in terms of poverty and communities, and rebuilding our society and leveling it up um, to making smoking obsolete.
0: I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, that that's that's an amazing statistic. Um, and you've kind of mentioned about leveling it up, and obviously the government talks about this leveling up agenda that it you know keeps talking about in the press, and y- you made a few suggestions earlier um, about limiting media, advertising, um, intervening in, com- in companies uh, that produce tobacco. Um, and these suggestions are likely to require a significant amount of intervention at the governmental level. Um, and I just know whenever this kind of state level intervention is discussed on radio, TV, there's almost always someone who brings up the issue of, and and I can't stand this word, but this issue of nanny statism in inverted commas and how British society doesn't agree with too much intervention from the state. Um, And it doesn't just come from, you know, just average people on the street. There are many influential politicians with these kind of views as well. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm really glad you asked me that. So nanny state almost assumes that Implicit is that there's a free choice, that the opposite of a nanny state is that everybody has a free choice. Yeah. But the issue is, people don't have a free choice now. So people who are born into the addiction of tobacco don't have a free choice. Their, their parents are smokers, their parents are already addicted. So the likelihood that they're going to be addicted is very high. Um, tobacco is everywhere in the media. Um, so in social media, in movies, in films, in gaming, it's normalised by the tobacco industry. So people do not have a free choice right now. Um, and in fact, the tobacco industry have an enormous influence, so people do not have the information they need to make a free choice right now. And and you could apply that to alcohol and, and yeah. fast food and yeah. know, um, other industries. So. I would say that, um, if you like, legislation, state intervention is the opposite of nanny state and it's mm. simply levelling up the playing field, which does not exist at the moment.
0: So, so yeah, thanks very much. Um, as, as with our previous two podcasts, I always ask, ask my guests, do you have any concise, easy to digest resources that you can suggest to people who want to explore this topic further?
1: Yeah, we, there is some fantastic resources. Um, so the first one I want to give you, I'm going to give you um, three or four, actually. Mm, That's okay. brilliant. So the first one is if you want to learn about trends in smoking in the UK and, and various facets of that, there's something called the Smoking Toolkit Study. And every month they publish slides that you can just download for free and mm. you can be a tobacco expert if you want to. <laughs> um <laughs> And the website is smoking in England, all one word, smoking and uh, and and, yeah, you can download the slides every month and yeah. see the trends, uh, and it's fantastic. Um, the second website, I would say, is Action for Smoking on Health. Um, and they have loads and loads of fact sheets. Um, going from you know the social housing to stop smoking services to you know stop before the op um, whatever that there's it's great so and that's um, ash.org.uk the third one i want to give you is training so lots of people feel they may not know anything about uh, how you treat a smoker in front of you Um, and there's an organization uh, that deals with this exclusively called the National Center for smoking cessation training and their website is ncsct.co.uk and it's free so you can get trained yourself and um, the the public health England have a fantastic local profile so you can look at the you know the area you're working in for instance uh, put in the postcode and you can get all of the um, local, Um, demographics epidemiology of uh, smokers in your area and that's um, called uh, fingertips so fingertips.phe.org.uk that's a great resource and then finally last but not least of course is the world college (laughs) of physicians Um, (laughs) and and, uh, if you if you put that into google and then look for smoking resources uh, you'll get it now i'm gonna i'm gonna make an unashamed plug uh, for two things Um, firstly Uh, We have a training slide set that was put together by Matt Everson, um, a consultant with spiritual medicine in Manchester, Um, and I think that's due to launch in May of 2021, and that's really up to date and an excellent training resource. And then finally, we've got a report from the Royal College of Physicians coming out in May Um, called um, Smoking and Health 2021, a coming of age for tobacco control. And that's looking at the whole of uh, tobacco control policy, looking at government measures, looking at individual um, measures uh, to reduce the impact of tobacco addiction. Um, And that report will be coming out in May uh, of this year.
0: Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks very much for those suggestions. I've definitely taken note of them. Um, and I'm really grateful to you for joining me. Um, it's been a really eye-opening uh, discussion. I have I've definitely learned a lot from it, and I'm sure our listeners would have too. So thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much, Sean.
0: And as always, thanks very much to you, our listeners. I hope this has given you a lot of food for thought. It really has to me. Um, If you want to know more, we'll make sure the links to the resources Sanjay suggested are provided. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.